Hey friends, this is Plain Spoken and I'm Jeffrey Rickman. This is a podcast I started a while back just to do a, a lot of things. I'm kind of all over the place, but one of the things I like to do is platform people who've been influential in the Methodist world. Today I'm joined by Reverend Dr. Chapel Temple. He's been very influential for many years, ever since I was a little baby uh, pastor 12 years ago. I've been reading uh, Chapel's name on all kinds of publications. Uh, I, I couldn't tell you how many times I've heard his name. I really hadn't seen his face very much until recently whenever I decided I need to have Chapel on here. And the reason I've done that, if you follow my Considering Charlotte series, uh, I, I've been sitting down with four United Methodists that are still in the fold, and they've been talking about the upcoming General Conference, and one of the things before them is the Revised Social Principles, which Chapel Temple served on. But it's not the first time that I've, I've touched on topics that have to do with Reverend Temple. Um, actually, my brother and I sat down, and we went through the Social Witness of the Global Methodist Church document. That's one of two things that every single church that joins the GMC has to say, yes, we sign on. We're on with the doctrine, and we're on with the Social Witness. So Chapel has had authorship in two different Wesleyan Methodist denominations around social witness or social principles, how it is that that Methodist believers should be postured in relation to the world around us. And so it, it seemed silly for me not to, at a certain point, call him and just try and figure out who he is and what he's about. He and I have visited a little bit before uh, I, I turned on the camera and started recording, and I can tell uh, we're going to get along great. Uh, he's, he's a wonderful spirit, and I, I'm looking forward to talking to him. So stay with me and, and learn about uh, Chapel and his influence on these denominations. And uh, But before I bring him on, I want to give him a proper intro. I, I stole his bio online, and then we, I've added to it a little bit. But uh, he's the Reverend Dr. C. Chapel Temple. He's a husband. He's a father. He's a grandfather. He's a pastor, a teacher who's been appointed—he uh, was at that point— the lead pastor at Christ United Methodist Church in Sugarland, Texas. I didn't ask his appointment right now. Um, he's, it's a southwestern suburb of Houston, so he holds degrees from SMU, Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. That's right up by where I went to seminary in Boston. Uh, and Rice University, he's an adjunct faculty member in the Houston program at the Perkins School of Theology, teaching United Methodist history, doctrine, polity. He's also started teaching at Baylor, at, at Truett, for the last couple of years, teaching Methodist topics there as well as pastoral care. Uh, he's now a presiding elder in the Trinity Annual Conference of the Global Methodist Church. He's a big fan of the Brits, the C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, G.K. Chesterton, C.K. Barrett, J.I. Packer, N.T. Wright, and other British thinkers who, like him, don't like to use their actual first names. So he blogs at chapeltemple.com where you can find a lot of his different publications. There are different videos you can find of him on YouTube preaching and encouraging people. Uh, so we're going to receive encouragement and information. for. He's going to teach. He's going to preach. Uh, he's going to sing and dance for us. It's going to be wonderful. I'm going to bring Chapel on screen now. Chapel, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my joy. I'm not sure about the dancing part, though. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe you could sing, though. Uh, I do sing, but uh, yeah. I don't know that I would do it on a podcast. <laughs> okay, sounds... yeah. Well, conveniently for you, there's a delay, so if we tried to sing together, it wouldn't work out oh, very perfect, well. So. Perfect, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are you still at Sugar in Sugarland, Texas? No. Uh, okay. I mean, I, mean I, I, I live in the area. Um, so I was pastor at Christ Church there, uh, which was a fairly large church, around three or 4,000 members. Uh, for eight plus years, 
uh, in the disaffiliation conversation, uh, we got a 62% vote to mm. disaffiliate, so we were not able to do so. So uh, I finished out the year, uh, 22, and then um, left at the end of the year uh, to, to go into the Global Methodist Church. Um, and uh, we have started a new uh, church in the GMC in the area. Uh, I'm, I'm not the pastor of it, uh, but uh, I help out with it. Uh, I'm the presiding elder for, for the area, so it kind of uh, works out that way. Uh, but yeah, we still live here. We, uh, we built a house in the area that was a retirement home as well. And so that's where we are. The, in Oklahoma, we're, we're not our own annual conference anymore. We're part of the Heartland Annual Conference. And so our presiding elders here are also serving in churches, but in the Trinity Conference. Uh, um, most, most of ours are also serving churches. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, there's, there's a couple of us, uh, and I didn't, I uh, did not retire from the UMC. Um, I, I withdrew uh, and joined the GMC, uh, but I, but I'm not serving a, 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 a church at the moment. Uh, okay. I don't think I will. I mean, I'm, I'm old enough not to. Uh, sure. Yeah. If you don't have to, you know, it's wonderful to yeah. spend all your time on the presiding elders stuff. I've been well, going through, that and, and between that and and the academic part, it's 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 a fairly full life. I think I'm mean, I supposed to be retired, I guess, but I think I flunked it. I just not it's just not going well for me in terms of retirement. Uh, the, the only part that actually actually retired was my paycheck. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're blessed enough to go without that, then that's that's yeah, wonderful. You know, so God God provides. You're married? Yes, yes. We've been married 47 years. Uh, two kids, uh, our son and his wife and three children live in Katy, Texas, which is 45 minutes away from us, 30 minutes away. Perfect. It's very nice. Yeah, uh, you don't want to be too close or too far. That's really yeah, a perfect that's about distance. perfect. On the other hand, yeah. our daughter um, went for her PhD in religion uh, at Durham in, in England and met her husband there. He's a Church of England priest. Oh, no. uh, and they live in in England with with our other three grandchildren, so they are definitely too far away. And now they're talking about being missionaries in in the Far East. So I don't know. Oh no! Yeah. Well, I was going to say, as an Anglophile, that might work out for you. But if they're not even going to be in England, then what's you the know? Point? They are they are great, and uh, I, I like English writers. I don't know that I'm an Anglophile though. Uh, um, uh, it's an, an interesting place. But she's been there. 14 years. Uh, and so our, our, uh, our grandchildren and Katie, uh, have little, nice little Texas twangs, uh, and our grandchildren in English have very British accents. Uh, so it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a great mixture of cultures right there. Yeah, Texas and, and they're, they're on opposite sides of some spectrums, I'm sure. Uh, so absolutely. Uh, absolutely. But, but it, it's a great joy to have all of them. Yeah. Well, Chapel, I, I, you may or may not be willing to do this, but um, it, you're one of these names that has just been uh, said for decades in uh, United it's so Methodist. Weird. <laughs> you, I don't think so. I think I think you've been in positions of influence and and you've earned a lot of people's respect. Mm-hmm. But the particulars of your ministry, uh, I've 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 just here said. All that I, I kind of I know that you've been a big church pastor. I know that you've written and published uh, things privately. I know that you're a, a historian. You're trained in, in church history, 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you've been in, in conservative evangelical uh, leadership in some capacity. Yeah. But what are some historical things that you've been tied to or some... Um, I've talked about your involvement in the social witness and social principles. Mm-hmm. What what else have you had your uh, hands in over the last? Uh, well, heck, how long have you been in ministry? Uh, Forty eight years. Okay, so I'm sure you started off as a small fry like most. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, you would think I would be better by now, but you know, it's been. <laughs> Well, tell me why? Why have yours? Yours is one of the many names, one of just a few names that shows up over and over. Is it just because um, of all the things that I've named here, or have there been other initiatives and efforts that you've? Um, You know, uh, uh, I've been blessed to to be involved in a lot of things. In when I was in the Texas Annual Conference of the UMC, uh, was in several different leadership roles there. Um, I've, uh, been a delegate, I was a delegate to three or four general conferences and an alternate delegate and, a, and, and at the jurisdictional level for another five or six. So I've been involved in that for a long time. Uh, I was uh, honored to be an Episcopal candidate from the Texas conference in 2012. So I got to know people across all the, all the South central jurisdiction. And, I, and I've made good friendships uh, across the whole denomination through 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 general church activities. I started as a missionary, actually. I, I was uh, I was in Eastern Europe. Uh, I worked for a group, Slavic Gospel Association. I was carrying Bibles uh, behind the Iron Curtain, doing all of that when when I was a younger guy. Uh, and so uh, I've I've had a kind of a uh, a global interest most of my life. Yeah. That's interesting. And yeah, you were sharing with me before we started recording that you were actually saved at a, a Choctaw Indian gathering. Yeah, in I, was, I was a teenager. I was uh, in a, on, on my church's uh, work camp for some high school kids, and we were up in southeast Oklahoma uh, and uh, doing some work w- with, with the Indian Missionary Conference there. And uh, it was listening to Choctaw Indian Methodist Christians who... Uh, really brought me to, to faith. Uh, and so I had a mountaintop experience on a mountaintop in uh, eastern Oklahoma. Yeah. How old were you? Uh, 15, I think. Wow. Yeah. And then did, did you uh, simultaneously feel your call to ministry at that point, or was it later in uh, life? Uh, yeah. Uh, the Lord and I had some work to do on that. Uh, I, I mean, I, I felt like I could do that, but I didn't really want to be speaking in front of people, uh, and so it was kind of a tenuous thing until he convinced me. Uh, actually, I, I was in seminary, and I, I, I had to I had to have a preaching class at Gordon Conwell, and I thought, oh no, but I'll, I'll go. But the first night, you know, all they'll do is they'll they'll you know give you the syllabus and go over the books and all that. So yeah, that's fine. So they did that, and then the professor uh, walked around the room, and he had a bunch of pieces of paper in a in a hat, and he said, "Draw one out, uh, and there's a scripture on it, and take about ten minutes and think what you want to say about it, and then I want you to give an extemporaneous, you know, short 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 message on it." And I remember thinking, "Well, I'm just going to go home now. Uh, this, <laughs> this is not working for me." Uh, and. and um, I opened my scripture. Uh, I, 
I, I have a dysnomia, Tatiana is a speech uh, problem sometimes. And the scripture I pulled out, Jeffrey, was out of Exodus, and it was the call of Moses, and Moses' argument that he was not a good speaker. Ah, and God's answer that's a good about one. who made your mouth. Uh, and I just started laughing. <laughs> and the professor said, what are you laughing at? I said, I'm laughing because God has this wicked sense of humor. You know, he's just trapped me here. Uh-huh. So, you know, that's, that's how I ended up. But, you know, uh, it, was, it wasn't where I... I thought I'd be in politics, maybe. Uh, and when I was a senior in high school, I went on a close-up trip to, to uh, up to D.C., and I discovered there, while I was, you know, it's a really neat opportunity. I met a lot of senators and all kinds of people. And what mm-hmm. I discovered I was really in doing the most was talking to other students about Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, if, if, if this is what happens in the center of the political world, maybe this is where my focus ought to be. Yeah, well, and it's clear that you have... There, there are a lot of clergy I know who get real fed up with the politics and the issues, and they don't really have the, you know, they'll get overloaded and, and frustrated yeah, and yeah. flustered. But it's clear that you do have the patience for wading into those waters as a believer and a Methodist. Well, I think you um, have which to. Is, yeah, I think, that, I, I think you have to. But, uh, I mean, politics gets a bad name. Politics is just people. It's, it's just people interacting in some mm-hmm. sort of a corporate way. Um, and, um, you know, uh, to, uh, uh, the politics and the church can be very, dis, uh, uh, very, um, unsettling, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, I have to think, but these are still just God's people and they're trying to sort it out. Uh, and even though I'm not sure some of them may be completely God's people, uh, <laughs> they're, they're still part of his kingdom, you know, so. Well, I didn't, I didn't, well, let me ask you this, and then based on what's said, I might ask you the thing I'm wanting to ask you, but uh, what was your PhD, what what did you write to get your PhD? Well, uh, actually, uh, I wrote, um, it's, it's a little piece called Building the Wall, uh, and it's a theological and historical analysis of the First Amendment, uh, and so it is uh, taking what I say is, is an American experiment in church and state uh, and producing a new model uh, that the world hadn't seen before mm-hmm. uh, of, 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 of a voluntary kind of understanding of that. Uh, so what I did was a lot of people trace f- f- um, church and state issues back to, uh, back to Jefferson uh, who wrote a letter in 1804 to some Baptists up in Danbury uh, about that, and he used this phrase, wall of separation. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, 100 years before him, um, the uh, some of the Puritans, uh, Williams in particular, uh, um, had used the same phrase, but in an opposite way. Jefferson meant it, that it needs to be a wall to sort of protect the state from the church, and mm-hmm. Williams said there needs to be a wall and the other direction, so that the right. church is safe, uh, uh, you know, off the state. So mm-hmm. that, that's what I found interesting, and, and I wrote on that um, in um, I, I, there was the University Press of America said 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 they'd publish it, uh, but I had to redo it, and I was so sick of it, I just didn't fool with it. 
So oh. in the current context of uh, the Christian nationalism debate, do you mm-hmm. find yourself kind of champing at the bit to start tweeting at some of the you people know, who are leading that discussion? I have sometimes because there's so many uh, myths that, that sort of go around uh, on, on both sides. Uh, mm-hmm. One that you know, America was founded as a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. And it really wasn't uh, right. on the on the same boat the pilgrims came on or the cavaliers uh, and here for business reasons. Um, uh, but the other side of that of that un- myth is that um, the founding fathers did not envision some role for faith, and they did. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's clear all the way through. Uh, so. Um, I think you. I think you kind of have to understand. Um, America is not uh, God's last chance for the world, uh, and, and it, it's not um, something. But it it is a tool which He wished to, to uh, use and has used. Uh, uh, we just have to sort out um, how we see ourselves in that whole complex, you know. Well, and that's that's the larger family of questions that I see you mm-hmm. being very influential in. In yeah. Methodist circles, so let's talk about sure. your role in the United Methodist Church, the social principles, specifically the revised social principles. Yeah, I yeah. guess the original social principles were constructed in the 1960s and then augmented along the way, but then... Uh, uh, the first social principles, 1972, okay. uh, is when they enter into the UMC. Now, there's a sure. long history before that. Uh, sure. 1908 is when uh, the first social creed is produced by the Methodist mm-hmm. Episcopal Church North. Uh, and um, you can go back, really, though, to, to the Wesleys, I mean, who were very active in social uh, work and going on in prisons and mercy houses for the poor and all kinds of things like that, uh, and the anti-slavery movement. Uh, but um, social principles came in in 72. They were revised numerous times. I think they've been revised every quadrennium since uh, 1980, maybe. Um, uh, So uh, in 2012, um, uh, they started a revision of the social principles uh, in the general board of church and society. Um, Yeah, they didn't want to just make little edits anymore. They wanted to completely uh, rewrite the whole thing. Yeah, and, and and it very much needed it. Uh, because it had just been uh, piecemealed onto for for, right. for decades, mm-hmm. uh, and and you have like you know really it had odd kinds of juxtapositions in it. I mean, at one point it would be talking about bioethics and space and all of that, and then it would say gambling gambling is a menace. You know, you know what? Because <laughs> that was an old one that was still just still just in there. You know, so it it, it did need something. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was uh, assigned by the South Central Jurisdiction uh, to serve on the general board of Church and Society, um, which I really believe is God's sense of humor again, because uh, you would not find a more progressive liberal body anywhere in the UMC than was housed in that in that agency. Uh, yeah, I think it's important for listeners to know uh, GBCS, General Board of Church and Society, has been uh, essentially a religious wing of the Democrat Party for decades. Uh, uh, they have a know, building on 
Capitol Hill, and they uh, intentionally see themselves as a policy agency mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. for far left um, initiatives within it's, the United Methodist Church. They aligned themselves yeah. with pro-abortion agencies and had to be forced to to cut those ties. Yeah, when the general uh, church tried to mandate that they advocate for persecuted Christians abroad. They just refused to do it. Yeah. They, uh, yeah, I believe, have uh, adopted a, a vacation Bible school curriculum that was crafted by Reconciling Ministries Network. Yes. No, they drafted it. They wrote a, a grant for it. Uh, they didn't draft it. They wrote a grant for it, even though it yeah. goes against the explicit instructions of the United Methodist Church's uh, Book of yes. Discipline. So, so this is a far-left yeah, agency, and so you are not far-left. It, it is. Um, I, I mean, I, I will say... Uh, uh, the Methodist Building, which has been there for a hundred years now, uh, the most valuable piece of property in all of D.C. sits directly mm-hmm. across the street from the Supreme Court and and the Capitol, um, mm-hmm. and so it's and and it's not just housing General Board Purpose Society. It also uh, rents out space to Presbyterians, to other groups, um, National Council of Churches. Um, and even rents out some of its apartments to Congress people uh, who who want to be living there. Um, so it, it, it's it's in a prime location certainly, and it began, however, in uh, in um, 1908-1912 uh, as uh, the general board of abstinence. Uh, f- for the Methodist Church, the building by abstinence, was, it's not sexual. Uh, it would be associated with alcohol. Um, yes, alcohol. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the building was built with those funds. Dedicated. In fact, several years ago, there was some uh, there was some legal action going on because some people were 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 suing them that that they were not keeping to their charter, which was about abstinence, um, and uh, you know that one finally got sort of settled out, but. I, I would say it is it is not uh, outwardly um, an arm of the Democratic Party, uh, but its policies and its aims align very closely with progressive liberal politics as well. Uh, You're correcting not that uh, the the statement I made uh, kind of insinuated an official connection yeah, between yeah. those two. Uh, and no official. Th- I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so there are, I believe, 55 global directors. Now, interestingly enough, um, when, oh, let me think of when it was, uh, it might have been 2012, uh, when, the, when the General Conference um, was about to mandate that all the general agencies reduce their rather bloated numbers and staff and all of that, uh, everybody else, every other agency took the hint and voluntarily reduced the size of their board. Global uh, 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 ministries went down, certainly. Church and society didn't. Uh, They said their work is so vital that they just can't do it with anything less (laughs) other than they have. Um, so they have just to be clear, their their job is taking um, money from the pews of mostly conservative people and then using it against them in policy yeah. from top well, down government initiatives. They have fifty five uh, global directors, I believe, is the number uh, on on the on their governing board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was one of those fifty five. Uh, okay, and I would say out of the fifty five. Um, at least by my head count, perhaps five, 
since no more than eight of us were would be considered on the conservative side. Uh, everybody else on the on the liberal progressive side, um, so it made for interesting meetings. Um, but I'll also tell you that uh, I think it's an agency that's a little bit out of control, um, not just in terms of what it's doing, but in terms of how it functions. For example, on the first meeting I was at, um, there was a motion made to approve the budget for for the agency. I looked at the budget and there was a million dollar deficit in the budget uh, mm. from anticipated uh, receipts, contributions versus expenses. Mm. So I, I asked the question, I said, how do we address this, this deficit? Uh, and I was told, well, uh, there, there are reserves which we have. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, how, how much is, is in the reserves? Nobody in the room knew. Uh, and they had to go look it up. Uh, and they came back and they said uh, it was about $14 million. Uh, it had been much higher. Uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but what I discovered is that they had been deficit spending for, for, for years to the tune of about a million dollars a year uh, yeah. out of the reserves. Uh, and I, I mean, I raised the question. I said, does anyone else think this is not of a, a, a viable way for us to operate um, at this deficit? Uh, but they all said it was fine, um, and that and that sort of told me, okay, we're we're not that. Now I, I, I want to say, Jeffrey, that th- there are some good people at the General Board for Society. Susan Henry Crow was the General Secretary, uh, a lovely clergywoman from the Carolinas, um, as genteel and gracious as you'd as you'd ever want. Um, she was uh, gracious to me. Uh, um, and I, I found her to be a, a good conversation partner. Uh, John Hill, who's now, I mean, she, she's retired. Uh, John Hill, who was assistant general, uh, is now the acting general uh, um, head of the group. And he, he's, a, he's a very great guy, too. Uh, so I, I, I don't mean to disparage the, uh, the character of some of the people there. But I will say that I think there are others on the board who have, uh, and some on the staff, who have a strong agenda, you know. Um, I mean, well, I'll tell you why it is that I'm kind of coarse in my characterization Mm -hmm. of the organization. And I would actually extend that to most of the people involved. and, And that's because between the far left progressives that have no compunction about taking people's money and using it against them. Mm -hmm. And then the centrists that just can't seem to find the spine to know how Mm -hmm. immoral that is. I don't really know which crew I find more reprehensible. At this point, I I think the only way to be a good centrist is to be like Lonnie Brooks, who says, look, I want the same things as you guys, but we got to do it the right way. If we're the good guys, we have to respect. And so, you know, the, in, in, looking at the revised social principles and the process by which that was created, it became clear to me that Randall Miller, who chaired your committee, yes. uh, was very emblematic of this kind of uh, elitist uh, bureaucratic leadership where they pretend to be interested in lifting up the voices yeah. of global members and they do all this phony dialogue and in the end they just publish what they want to do anyway. You know, um, there's, there's some truth onto that. Uh, I mean, uh, Lonnie is a friend and, and, and I respect him greatly. Um, yeah. I like Lonnie a lot. Uh, Randall 
Moore um, or, or um, uh, Miller is mm-hmm. is um, he has a a fairly strong agenda um, that comes out of his personhood as an openly uh, gay activist uh, and a. Um, a uh, member of the Cal Nevada Conference, I believe. He's a lay member there. He taught at Pacific School of Religion. Um, and he he's the vice chair. He's been the vice chair of the board and was the chair of the task force on the revision of the board, uh, of the principles. Um, that that revision started in 2012. I, I joined into it. Um, I will say they did solicit an enormous amount of input into that. Now, whether they whether they did anything with it or not could could be questioned, but mm-hmm. I know there were hundreds of of of, of uh, small groups and talking sessions, and they went all around the world in all parts of the church to try to listen to people. Um, I, I just don't know that they listened well enough. Uh, uh, so, um, and the revision of social principles had had three objectives. Um, one was to uh, make them uh, briefer because they were 50-something pages. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I will say that I think the revision failed at that point because the revision came out, I think, 48 pages, maybe 47 pages. I mean, it, 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 there was no substantial kind of reduction in the, mm-hmm. in the length of it. A second was to make them globally relevant. Uh, which mm-hmm. was important because they hadn't ever really done that. They were they were very much centric here uh, in American life and culture mm-hmm. politics. Right. Uh, I think there was some some improvement there. Um, um, the third was to make them more biblically focused, and they will say that they were more careful with that. Uh, I did not sense that. Um, I sense that if they could have put Micah 5, 6 in everywhere that they would have. Um, uh, I will say um, in one conversation in a small group, uh, we were talking about the parable of the Samaritan, of the good Samaritan. Mm -hmm. And one of the participants, who is a clergy person from somewhere else, um, had it all wrong. I mean, he he, he had it was, it was... A Samaritan who was beat up, and a good Jew came along and said, "Oh, him. he didn't know the basic story." You know, and and I said, "I mean, so the five of us that are more conservative looked at each other and thought, who's going to tell them?' You know, uh, and, and finally, I said, "I'm I'm fairly certain it's the other way around." Uh-huh. He said, "What?" I said, "I'm I'm fairly certain it was it was a Jew that was beat up and a Samaritan who who came around." He said, "Oh, okay," uh, and and I thought to myself. You didn't fail seminary. You failed VBS. I mean, uh-huh. how, how do yeah. you not know that? You know, uh, yeah. and, and I mean that—that's an isolated incident. I don't think that 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 be, that would be fair to say. That's how the whole board felt. But it, it did tell me that there wasn't as much uh, seasoning in the scriptures that would allow people to sort of think, "What is what is the witness of the Word of God say to these things?" You know. Uh, well, okay, so as I read my scriptures, what I see is Jesus being completely indifferent to Roman law and policy, mm-hmm. 
what I see is the early church being completely indifferent to worldly rule, um, voluntary su- submitting to it whenever it doesn't contradict their faith, but yeah. also choosing to fear God rather than men yes, whenever hard. it does come to observing their faith. Um, whenever it comes to group statements being made by ecumenical councils, the first several centuries had very little to do with social policy, everything to do with doctrine and dogma. So it has seemed strange to me... So. Here, here's where I'm going to issue a challenge to you and have you correct me, because it has seemed to me that this desire for the church to make public statements as uh, uh, with regard to social policies is an extension not of a biblical faith, but of a, a, a political concern, which easily lends to the co-option uh, of churches for political means. So uh, you've already kind of laid out a a counter-narrative where John and Charles Wesley and the early Methodists were clearly engaged in social Mm -hmm. uh, intervention uh, in some capacity. Um, What what other ameliorating factors do you think are worth considering? I I would say that I would agree with you that, that, that the political context is not important in Jesus's world. Uh, he he moves in and out of it. Uh, and obviously, he's affected by it. He's he, he's crucified at the hands of the Romans, mm-hmm. uh, of the occupying army, uh, and he doesn't seem though to challenge the whole political system. He's he challenges the the whole religious system yes. uh, 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 of the teachers of the law. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I would agree with that. When it comes to the early church, I think that's also correct for the for the first generations of the Christians. Uh, uh, certainly, I mean, as a historian, I, I would I would think about uh, what, what are the persecutions of the church which are going on then. It's never universal in that it's it's never empire wide at any one time. It's it's here and there. It's never uh, uh, permanent. It, it comes in and out uh, in the first in the first in the first three hundred years of the church. Uh, but it is it is an, uh, a, a, a clearly negative interaction with, uh, with those of faith and those of the uh, of the Roman Empire. Um, but when af- um, after um, after you've got Constantine involved, um, then you've already begun to mix church and state. I mean, he's he's at that first ecumenical council. He's 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 listening to it. He's directing some of it, you know. He's uh, he so he he's got his he, he's got his finger in it, you know, as the Roman emperor. So there's there's already this kind of uh, mingling going on, which is not helpful. And and if I were to summarize all the church history for you in in like uh, one one sentence, I would say it is it, it is a recurring question that kind of stems through it, at least through, uh, through the Reformation period, of uh, a notion of Christendom, which is a, is a unified nation, church, state, and the question is, who's going to be on top? Is it the state or is it the Pope? It goes back and forth. Um, and so we do have this, this uh, unfortunate kind of, kind, of, kind of a collusion going on in church history. Uh, when we get to uh, America, though, uh, I mean, this, this is one of the things which is just so amazing about what, what God does in this country. You've got this whole new understanding of uh, voluntarism, 
that that the church is not affected by the state and not not and not subservient to the state and not and doesn't depend on the state or report to the state, uh, and the state doesn't try to control the church. Um, uh, that doesn't mean that there are not state churches. Uh, I mean, there's a there's a state church in Massachusetts until the 1820s. Um, so it's but it but it does mean that that the role of the church and, and this is where I would I would say I think I think the role of the social principles uh, was meant to be um, let's let's let the um, let's let's share a witness of faith to the culture and the society around us mm-hmm. that can point them to the kind of of existence and life in society God wants. Um, uh, I mean that that would have been uh, a noble goal. Um, instead, what it turned into was how do we get God to sign off on what we want? <laughs> yeah. So, okay. The other pushback I've had on so so, and this began long before mm-hmm. any of this yeah. split. Uh, ever since I discovered the social principles, and even worse, the book of resolutions, oh. I, I've had this problem with putting things in writing that we are not going to maintain or insist upon. Mm-hmm. So, uh, speaking about the Global Methodist Church, I did an interview with a young couple um, several months ago now that are of the mind that the Global Methodist Church needs to be quite uniform on the, the topic of abortion, at this point, it's morally reprehensible to take any position that allows for abortion, um, except in very extreme circumstances. Uh, the United Methodist Church had decent language on it, still has decent yes. language on it, but um, does not uh, maintain that teaching and actually has people at the top who, who speak against it. I'm of the mind, and I, I would like to hear pushback on this if, if, if you have some, that we should not have anything in our social witness section that if people hold another opinion, that they are still welcome in the Global Methodist Church. That that if we are going to have a social witness or social principles, that's something that is uniformly shared by the people in the pews, and that's the expectation. And if that's not an expectation we're going to hold, then it should not be put in writing. Um, what, what's the general reaction you have to that? Um, I would... I. I would agree in in many ways with that Jeffrey uh, um, so when uh, I wrote the social witness for the transitional book of doctrines and discipline and my goal in that was to uh, make it simple and short and um, and succinct I, I do think it's important for the church to speak to to the culture around us to call out things which we know do not represent God's will, uh, to speak against things which we think are destructive to life mm-hmm. and to all of that. Um, so uh, we got it, what, 14 planks. Um, it went from 50 pages down to two pages. Um, yeah, right. You did a fantastic uh, job. It's a two-page document. Yeah, if you were going for succinct, you did it. Yeah, and, and so it is going to be, uh, we also wanted to be certain that there was biblical justification for the positions which, which we were laying out. Um, and most of them are actually um, just 
biblical teaching uh, more than they are anything else. Um, uh, everyone is made in the image of God. Uh, so you have to treat them with, with justice and, and, and respect. Mm -hmm. uh, racism, sexism, other things like that are, are, um, are things which do not recognize the image of God in people and which discriminate against them. Um, life is a holy gift of God, uh, uh, and the beginnings and the, and the end of it are set by God. Uh, and, it's, and, it, and it's our responsibility as believers to protect those who can't protect themselves, mm -hmm. um, which would include uh, the unborn, uh, That's right. Those who have disabilities uh, or illness and the aged. Um, our language on abortion was very, very similar to that that was in the UMC, mm. because I thought that 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 was a fairly good, good, good understanding of it. Um, the sacredness of life compels us to resist the practice of abortion, except in cases of tragic conflicts of life against life. Uh, when the well-being of the mother and the child are at stake. Uh, we do not accept abortion as an acceptable means of birth control or selecting gender. Um, but then I said, we also call upon all Christians as disciples of the Lord of life to prayerfully consider how we can support those women facing unintended pregnancies without adequate care, counsel, or resources. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I, I think uh, I was influenced by that because many years ago, happened by a Catholic church, uh, which had a sign in front of it. And it said, uh, out, out of reverence for life, uh, this congregation pledges its support to any women who are facing unintended pregnancies. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and they meant by that, we'll pay for it and, and, and we'll give you care and we'll help, every, you know, all the way through. And mm -hmm. I thought, okay, that's, that, that's how Christians ought to be acting. Not, not, not out, you know, uh, picketing people or shaming people necessarily, but also saying, let us show you um, a better way, as it says, and, and acts. Um, and, and so, you know, that's that was how that turned out. Now, one of the things I'll, I will just say about our social witness is it's intended not to be something which is amended every four years or every six years, however the general conference meets. It's mm -hmm. intended, and I think the, the way it's going to end up is that it's going to take a maybe a two-thirds vote to amend anything in the social witness because we just don't want to get into that game of, of uh, writing resolutions uh, and trying, try, trying to do all that. Um, one, of the, one of the raps on the GMC I know <clears throat> is that, well, this is the anti-gay church. Uh, the, these are the people who, who don't like homosexuals. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I will share with you that... Uh, if you look through the entire transitional book of doctrines and disciplines, you will not find that word anywhere in it. Homosexuality is 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 nowhere mentioned in this book. Um, what there is mentioned is a positive definition, an understanding of marriage uh, between a man and a woman, and and of the gift gift of our sexuality as something God has intended to be exercised within those boundaries. Um, mm -hmm. That's all it says. Uh, and um, so we're not out to get gay people. We're not out to keep, I, I mean, we, we have a church in, in my area um, which uh, was not able to actually disaffiliate. It had a 62% vote. So 400 of them walked out and formed, formed a new church. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the people that, that, uh, that walked out with them was a gay couple from the old church. 
who mm-hmm. said they are tired of being used by the UMC as uh, poster children or something like that for their for their arguments. Uh, they just want to be be in church, um, and and I and I think that is a beautiful thing. I mean, you know, we we don't have any any prohibitions against uh, gay individuals, lesbian gays, anybody coming to church, being a part of it. Uh, we do draw a line in terms of ordination and of leadership, uh, and we do draw a line at the marriage question. Uh, but you know, aside from that. And I'll also tell you that within the last two years, the Global Methodist Church has been coming into existence. Uh, I've been in numerous conversations with people all over the denomination, all over the world. Uh, and over those two years, I have not once, not not one time, heard anybody mention um, this sort of gay issue. Uh, it's just not what is driving our church. It's just not there. Uh, and, and that is the big lie that some of the UMC folks keep, keep, keep on telling that that this church is just about being against gay people. Well, the thing that I am hopeful that they're right about, I do hope that the GMC can take a stand. It hasn't yet. And I think it'll, it'll hurt us if we don't on the nature of human identity Uh and with respect to sexual uh, yes, identity, but also racial identity. There are uh, very different opposites that <laughs> yeah, yeah. that you could say there is language in the global Methodist Church to go either way. You know, so with race, there's anti-racism, uh, Ibram X. Kendi forming annual conferences that overlap with others, but are separated based on ethnicity. That's something that I know a conversation is happening. Whether or not we want to try and have a colorblind, yeah. multicultural body, or we want to have mutually protected ethnic groups in the GMC, but also within our understanding of human sexuality. Do we have kind of a Preston Sprinkle understanding where one's sexual orientation is endowed by God and can always be redirected um, towards him and, and bring him glory even if gay sex is not a good idea? Or do we have what I would consider a more biblical understanding, which is human sexuality, like all other parts of human nature, is sub- subject to the fall? and needs yes. to be completely yes. removed in order to um, uh, some forms of human sexual yeah. desire need yeah. to be and we should be we would be wrong to identify as gay christians or trans christians the these are the bigger issues that our society is reckoning with and if the Gle- global methodist church avoids that and just tries to keep everybody together i worry that it's going to reproduce the same <clears throat> misery that was found in the united methodist church which yeah. tried to be a big tent you know let me just just read because uh, two two of the things say this we we believe uh, believe sexuality is a gift of God to be affirmed as exercised within the legal spiritual covenant of a loving and monogamous marriage between one man and one woman. Mm-hmm. And then it says we are saddened by all expressions of sexual behavior, including pornography, polygamy, promiscuity that do not recognize the sacred worth of each individual or that seek to exploit, abuse, objectify, or degrade others, or that represent less than God's intentional design for his children. While affirming a scriptural view of, of sexuality and gender, we welcome all to experience the redemptive grace of Jesus and are committed to being a safe place of refuge, hospitality, and healing for any who may have experienced brokenness in their sexual lives. 
so I think what we're trying to say there is simply um, we think God has designed it to work in one way, um, and uh, we're not going to back away from that, but we're also going to try to be uh, as pastoral and redemptive as we can be for people uh, who may not have experienced that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as as we are looking through the social witness document in, in the current uh, transitional book of doctrines and discipline that begins mm-hmm. on page 20, I think. Yeah. Um, how many, were you the sole author of that document or were there other <coughs> people that were? Um, so uh, the writing team for the transitional book was three of us. Uh, okay. uh, Jay Therrell, who's in Florida, uh, and also, also Lambert, Tom, uh, who's uh, worked with Good News for a, a long while, and myself. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we took different parts of this. Uh, I, I took primary authorship on a lot of it. Um, and this is, this is one of the ones I did, but then, uh, what, what I drafted went to the other two guys and, and we worked at it and we made a few tweets here and there. We, we, uh, we, as a group, uh, worked through the scriptures and made sure that, that, that what we had was in fact, uh, really helpful in understanding those uh, places. Uh, then this went to the Transitional uh, Leadership Council of the GMC, who approved it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's the process. But uh, this is, I, I will say, uh, this is primarily uh, my work in terms of, this, of the social witness. But I couldn't have done it without Tom and Jay as well. Sure. Well, and those two are great minds oh, as well. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're very practiced at generating. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, um, and something, I, another thing I want to say for, I've, I finally pulled it up. I should have had it pulled up before we even talked. But um, with each position taken, there are a series of scriptural citations following. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's one way that, that you really do model differently from what was seen in the predecessor body. I do want to uh, come back to the Revised Social Principles committee put together, chaired by Randall Jones. Um, How active were you in the creation of the final product? Uh, I was, um, I was part of the drafting team. Um, I was unable to get a lot of things. Uh, I did, um, I shared with that group, uh, as I would share with anybody, that I always thought the, the uh, problems in the UMC with regard to the sexual questions were a lot bigger than simply gay issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a lot more difficulty with uh, straight pastors who were who were not faithful, um, infidelity, um, mm-hmm. and so I I pushed for the revised social principles to broaden that out and to talk about promiscuity, pornography. I think I wrote what ended up as as the as the pornography plank in it. Um, and uh, a few other things I like that, uh, and and actually polygamy, because it wasn't a part of our culture, but it's a huge issue in Africa. Uh, and if we're going to be a global church, both the UMC and in the Global Methodist Church, it, it needed to speak to that broader context. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, I was not successful in some things. Um, I argued for them to... Uh, Talk about marriage uh, as between one man and one woman. Um, mm-hmm. That was over, over, o- overturned, uh, or it was it was outvoted. I, I did. Uh, I then argued 
I said, can we at least say between two people, just not, I know more than two. Uh, and they, and they did agree on that, which is how it, how, how it ends up. Uh, but, uh, if you look at, at the revised, revised social principles, uh, they are, uh, very studied in, um, talking about, let me see if I can find the, find the marriage part, um, that it's just between two people that are, um, Faithful uh, within the church, we affirm marriage as a sacred, lifelong covenant that brings two people of faith into mm-hmm. union with one another and a deeper relationship uh, with with God. Um, they that that's the best I could get them to. Yeah, you know? uh, yeah, and I think I remember you filed something of a minority report or something. Yeah, uh, I tried to do that. I mean, it's 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 difficult, you know. Um, I did. Um, and I, I mean, this would be my my own kind of sense on this, because uh, I, I, I encourage them to to raise up the notion of a civil marriage of a, of a civil ceremony, which I I am okay with as as a Christian. I mean, I don't it, I don't I think the state can say what it wants to about it, um, uh, and I don't have any interest in saying to people. Who can be by their bedside when they're at the hospital? Uh, uh, any of those things. Uh, I just, I just can't call it marriage. Uh, so, uh, I, I mean, I would say, if if the church would, if if, the, if if someone wants to sort of recognize a civil union in the state, that that isn't my being. It, is, it isn't my business. Uh, that's what the state does. Um, if I could probably uh, snap my fingers and have everything changed. I almost think everybody ought to have two ceremonies. They ought to be required to have a civil ceremony that that gets all the legal stuff out of the way for them. Uh, and then if they're inclined, they should have have, have a religious ceremony that, then, that then, then reaches to the deeper meaning of marriage. It's my understanding that there's explicit language in the United Methodist Church. I don't think there is in the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline for the GMC but that clergy should not ever perform a marriage ceremony for someone who is not also simultaneously getting legally married. Um, it, it, it is, it is, well, what it says in the, in the GMC book is, um, we affirm, uh, marriage within the legal and spiritual covenant of a loving and, and monogamous marriage within the legal and, and spiritual covenant. So it does. It does suggest it has to meet legal standards as well. Yeah, that's the that's the the hard part for a lot of people. Of okay, if we're going to meld these two things and they're not two separate things, then yeah, we have some things to say about who can be civilly yeah, recognized yeah, yeah. as married. Yes, exactly. You know, and- another problem for that people on the left point out and people on the right don't like it, but it's legitimate in my mind, is that a long time ago Methodists gave up their stance on divorce being something that um, upsets the Lord and would be considered sinful. And I don't notice the the GMC trying to reclaim a biblical standard on that. Um, Well, no. uh, I I think you you are correct. Um, Let me just make it sure. Um... The in in the revised social principles for the for the UMC, 
Mm-hmm. Um, it 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 does um, talk about divorce, um, um, but we yeah. What they said in the UMC, um, we recognize divorce may become a regrettable but a necessary alternative when marital relationships are strained beyond repair or become destructive or when spouses are irrevocably estranged. Um, you know, um, I think that's, that's, uh, that's language of concession to the reality that is there. Um, the one thing I would say uh, from being a pastor 48 years, um, mm-hmm. I, I, I never came across, I did a, did a lot of marriage counseling. I never came across any, any issue, uh, between a couple, which could not be resolved. If, if so long as both parties were willing to resolve it and to work mm-hmm. at it, um, what I found I could not resolve was if one party or both parties had already had already had one foot out the door and already decided sure. and they weren't, yeah. and they weren't going to change, you know? Yeah. Um, so, um, those, th- those marriages couldn't be fixed. So I go back to Paul's words in the Corinthians, uh, first letter, chapter six about marriage. Uh, and, uh, I think that there's a really redemptive word there about if you're married to an unbeliever and they want to leave, whatever, you're not, you're not bound to them, you know? Uh, and, and as, I mean, it ends up saying above all God, God desires for you to live in peace. Um, uh, and I think that uh, that's an operative word for us. Sometimes there are people who are in marriages, which are, which are living hells. Uh, and I, I don't believe it is, it is, um, I mean, I, I don't, say I would counsel those people that you have to stay married to that person. You have to be with them forever and you have to do all these things. If they're abusing, you know, uh, if, if, if there's inappropriate kind of things going on, no. Uh, uh, so then it comes down to this question of, of, of is divorce, uh, an act or is it, an, or is it a state of being? Um, if it is an act, like any other sin, and it is sin, it can be forgiven. Um, if it's a state of being, if you are divorced, and you're always going to be divorced, and, and, that's, and that's your status from now on, then there there is no forgiveness possible for a state of being um, unless that state status is somehow changed. So, I, I, I mean, it's not in, in here, Jeffrey, because I, I think what we recognize was that um, we... Our, our job is to sort of lay out, here, here is what God's intentional will for us is. This is what he desires for all of his children. This is how he thinks the gift of, gift of sexuality ought to work. This is why he designed it. Uh, this is what marriage is supposed to, supposed to be like. So, so we lay those things out. Um, and then um, if people can't do it, if they don't meet them, if they come in repentance, um, like the woman taught in adultery, then... Like Jesus, we say, neither do I can can condemn you go and and uh, and and leave your sinful life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, we're we're coming up on the yeah. the wow. hour mark, and so I I don't really want to end on that note. Instead, I I think I'd I like to, to just you, by have the way, Jeffrey. This is great. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I do this because I enjoy it quite a bit. So um, yeah, I hope good. that comes through. I uh, I want to hear you talk a bit about the convening general conference uh, for the Global Methodist Church. If you're planning on attending, what your hopes are, where what you're excited about. Uh, well, I'm excited about it. I'm excited. It's in Costa Rica. I think mm-hmm. that's a that's a wonderful thought. Now, this is an oddity to it because the Costa Rican Methodist Church is an autonomous church. It's not part of the GMC. But the relationships have been very, very strong with that. Uh, the, uh, the bishop there is great. Um, uh, so uh, whether I'm going to be there, yeah, I'm, I'm planning to be there. Uh, whether I'm a delegate or not, I don't know, because our conference hasn't, hasn't yet chosen delegates. Um, I uh, have worked on a couple of things uh, in preparation for that uh, with, with uh, Tom. Uh, I, I've been on a on a legislative process committee, which sort of has laid out the laid out all the plan of organization and the procedures that will follow and all of that. Uh, as you know, it's it's a limited general conference because it's only six days, so uh, the entire transitional book is not open. Uh, there's just certain paragraphs of it that are open that we think is the most important. The one of the intentions, I believe, has been to have a follow-up conference maybe in 26 uh, to sort of finish it all out. But this, there are things which if we really need to, to get in place. Uh, we don't yet have a constitution. Uh, we may not want a constitution. I don't know. Uh, I, I wrote one for the original book, uh, and I don't know if it's being used or not, but there is a group working on that. Um, we don't have clarity about bishops at the moment. When we, when, when we wrote this book, we, in, we envisioned the possibility that entire annual conferences might be able to sort of come out. That was mm-hmm. not the case because of the bishops and the judicial council's rulings. Uh, so, the, so the end result is that um, we have a church of uh, tens of thousands of people all around the world, um, 17 annual conferences, um, uh, and we have... Two active bishops, that's all. Um, Mark Webb handles roughly the, the, uh, the northern half of the U.S. and the northern hemisphere, and Scott Jones handles the southern half of the U.S. and the southern hemisphere. Uh, I mean, that's absurd. Uh, but what we're discovering, uh, which is there's a task force that'll be bringing this, is maybe we don't want residential bishops along the model. Are you on that Episcopacy task force? I'm not. I'm, I'm not. Okay. Uh, they're uh, supposed to be putting out a recommendation. They will be. Now. And I think the way, I don't, I don't know how they're going to do it, uh, but I think w- what I kind of sense as a sentiment is that we think of bishops now as they were originally thought of as sort of general superintendents for the whole church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have conferences led by, right now, it's a terrible term, President's Pro Tem, that it doesn't fit at all. I think that'll get changed maybe maybe as conference superintendents or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bishops still set the appointments, but, but, they, but they're not involved in the day-to-day management of an annual conference. Uh, but that has to get sorted out, okay? Um, I, I am, um, I, uh, in addition to the, to the legislative committee uh, work, uh, there's a transitional commission on ministry that has been formed, which I'm the chair of at the moment. Uh, and so we are looking at, at, at numerous things. Uh, I think we're going to need a rewrite of paragraph 407, uh, which lays out sort of what are the educational kinds of requirements. Lots of things have happened since we did it. We did not envision um, 
what would happen with local pastors. Uh, we knew that we did not like the concept of local pastors because they've been such a class ministers in the eyes of many people. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so, the, so the answer was let's let's get them ordained. Um, what we didn't realize was that we had you know hundreds of them who had not yet finished course of study. Uh, and the minute they went into the GMC, uh, the UMC threw them out of the course of study programs. Uh, mm. So uh, that's one of the things I'm doing. I, I, I teach for Truett Seminary at, at, at Baylor, uh, and we and we created a pastoral study program, which is our version of course of study, uh, and started it this past fall. Uh, we have over a hundred people in it r- right now, uh, which are which are people that were, that were primarily local pastors who are trying to sort of uh, meet the standards for, for ordination as quickly as we can. Uh, so there's, there's, there's things like that. Uh, and so I would hope to be involved in, in some of that. Um, and um, we have friends um, there uh, in that country that we hope to see, you know. And um, so I, I plan to be there one way or the other, uh, whether, I'm, whether I'm a delegate or not. Would, would depend upon uh, my colleagues in the Trinity Annual Conference. And you're excited. Yeah, I you're am optimistic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because, yeah. you know, here, here's the thing. I don't know if you found this to be the case in, in the Heartland Conference. Um, the, the first meeting of what was in Eastern Texas Conference, but we have Arkansas also and Louisiana, so that really didn't fit as a name for the conference anymore. So it's now Trinity Conference after the three, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But the first meeting of the of the Eastern Texas Conference, we ordained uh, I want to say eighty something people, um, mm-hmm. and that and that uh, conference opened uh, uh, with singing a praise song. There's joy in the house of the Lord. I don't know if you know it or not, but it's it's a great mm-hmm. song. Uh, and uh, Jeffrey, there there was joy in the house of the Lord, uh, and I found myself in tears during about half of that conference. Because it was just this realization: this is what it was supposed to have been all along. Uh, mm. This this is what the church is supposed to be acting like. Every general conference I went to was agonizing, uh, and, and you needed therapy afterwards. Mm. I mean, it was it was uh, it, there was such conflicts. I know in in one of them uh, there was a big push to to enlist. Uh, the UMC and the BDS movement against Israel, boycott the best, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, they're uh, going to be pushing that again this time, well, I'm sure. they were pushing it that time, and there was a small group of us, about seven, I think, delegates from across the other uh, uh, country, uh, led in and, and helped by a little um, uh, New York Roman Catholic nun in, in sneakers, Um who was really good at this stuff. Um, the other side spent hundreds of thousands of dollars, flew in people from the West Bank, flew in mayors, took out full-page ads, did a full-court press. It was just six or seven of us opposing it, and we managed to 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 somehow prevail. Uh, mm. and, the, and the general conference did not do it. And now, the reason they were doing it was that uh, the UMC w- 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 would be the crown jewel in their, in, in their efforts. Uh, and... We just had to kind of push against it, uh, yeah. but I mean, so if you're in those kinds of fights, um, I mean, some other time I can tell you about. Uh, I, I had a proposal that I thought would have changed some of the uh, language 
on sexuality. I got it passed somehow the committee. I was on the dais ready to present it. And then Adam Hamilton got up and made a motion instead. And all hell broke loose on the conference floor and everything was lost. Uh, mm. And the, the bishops adjourned and decided not to talk any more about this stuff. Uh, mm. And I thought we had a chance because I had actually gotten uh, the conservatives, uh, the good news people, uh, to sign off on it. I'd gotten uh, most of the progressives to sign off on it. I'd gotten the Africans. It took all my high school French to, to, to sort of sign off on it, you know. Uh, and it, it had a really good chance of passing, and it would have changed the conversation for us. Um, but it, it was lost. And so after conference, after conference like that, it's just so difficult and, and, and you come home just beaten. Um, so I'm excited about, about our conference coming up because it won't be like that. It, it, right. It's going to be more like what I experienced in the Trinity conference, uh, yeah. joy in the house of the Lord. Yeah. There's, <clears throat> there's rejoicing and just not being tied to what oh, we my were. Gracious. Yes, yes. But then there's also a, a a hunger and a yearning on my part and on the part of some who've read early Methodist history and they know about oh, the I intimacy know. and vibrancy of, of early Methodist conference gatherings mm -hmm. and when they would get together and sing, and are we yet alive and see each other's face? And there was this notion that they'd really been putting their lives on the line for saving you know, souls. And that when they got alive and they uh, all together and they sang that, of one third of the circuit riders died before the age of 35. Um, oh. And they, that was not a, a sort of theoretical hymn. They looked around the room to see who was still there from the yeah. previous year. Uh, and one year in the Texas conference, somebody thought, oh, let's put that to kind of a reggae, you know, melody and just. I was just, I was in tears then, too. I thought, no, you're not getting this. This is not, you know, a kind of a happy, clappy song. This is this is a testimony to, to, to God's grace. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and one year, they forgot to even sing it at all. Uh, yeah. And I went up to the bishop and I said, Bishop, we, we have made a grievous error here, uh, you know. Well, we are really praying and hoping that, that God is restoring... Methodism and equipping the global Methodist Church. I think to he is not only what I think he is. Should, I mean, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll say one more thing, which is that uh, the students I have at Druitt, um, uh, both in in the, in the master's level program and the MDiv classes I teach, but also in, in this other program, um, a lot of them, uh, young, vibrant, um, excited uh, pastors, uh, and when when I see them. Um, and I see the faithfulness of older people that uh, are bivocational, that work a job all day long, and then come pastor their, their little church of 10 people. You know, I, I am so inspired by that. And, and I can't help but think that, that the Lord's hand is on this whole thing. I mean, heavens, mm -hmm. God has to be in this. The, the Baptist University started a Wesley House of Studies for us. You know, <laughs> this, this has got to be it's God, quite a thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well... I'm uh, I'm certainly glad to hear more about yeah. uh, Truett and what's going on over there at Baylor, and then uh, also to hear about the stuff behind the scenes uh, yeah. in crafting these uh, very influential documents. And for my part, I, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be at the convening conference, but I sure am oh, excited you come, for you yeah. and for you others. Come. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, uh, I'll I'll be very excited to hear how things go, and of course, I'll be talking about it 
There is uh, there there is a direct Southwest Airlines flight from Houston Hobby to there. I mean, you know, Costa Rica. You, you, you can get a cheap fare too. So mm. come on, brother. <laughs> well, we need to wrap. So uh, Chapel okay. Temple, thank you so much yeah, for so. visiting with me and friends. Thank you for joining us. I hope uh, I hope you've enjoyed learning about all this stuff as much as I have. If if you have. Share this with other people that you think would enjoy it, and then always let me know your thoughts in the comments, or you can email me at plainspokenpod at gmail.com. And then um, if you want to support the work that I'm doing, then just stay till the end of this video, and you'll see a link to, to go to support my work. So thank you so much. God bless you. I'll see you next time.